Good evening, everybody. And thank you for that reading. And um, I just want to let you know, I do look forward to the day uh, when the, the fact that it took me eight years to graduate here uh, is forgotten or just no longer brought up. But I do say I, I, I have a beef with the seminary. Now they've got something like seven-minute seminary. And so if it took me eight years, but y'all figured out how to condense things into seven-minute videos, I feel like this is on you guys. I feel like you guys kept me around here all the while when there were these things called seven-minute seminary videos. So who knew? Anyway, it is so good to be here today. And um, I want to start, start off with a really deep, penetrating spiritual question. So do we have any fans of The Bachelor here, the TV show The Bachelor? Of course not. We're in seminary. You knew that was a trick question. You knew even if you do love that, you don't answer yes to that. Uh, so let me reframe it. Um, do we have anybody who, as a form of incarnational ministry, have watched an episode of The Bachelor to better understand your culture, or you've watched it with a spouse or a loved one or a friend to support them and so that you could be there with them truly as they are? Do we, there we go. Okay, okay. So for those of you who have never watched The Bachelor, um, bless you. <laughs> bless you. Uh, the whole idea is there's this guy, and he's dating like 30 women at the same time, and one of them is going to become his wife, which very rarely ever happens. But if you've seen the show in that incarnational sense, there's a moment when all the ladies, there's probably about 20 of them left now, they're sitting on a couch, they're in their PJs, they haven't done their makeup yet, and they're eagerly awaiting something called the date card. Now, the date card's a big deal. Because what's going to happen is the host is going to come in, and he's going to have this little card, and he's going to come and say hi to all the girls, and he's going to put the date card on something, and he's going to walk away, and one of the girls is going to get brave enough, and she's going to go grab the date card, and she's going to open it. Because in that letter, in that date card, there's an invitation for one young lady to go on a one-on-one -on -one date with the bachelor who we'll call, we're going to call her Mac. Okay, we're gonna call her Mac. Okay, M A C Mac. Okay, so everyone's wondering who's gonna get to go out with Mac. And she opens it, and we're gonna we're just gonna call her Joanna for today. I'm just gonna call her Joanna. She reads it and she says, Joanna, would you fall with me on the adventure of a lifetime, love? Mac. And all of a sudden, Joanna's like, he, he wants to go on it. Oh, my goodness. And all the other girls are so excited for Joanna. They're like, Joanna, girl, go get dressed. This is your chance. And she's like, really? Should I? They're like, yeah, go get, go get dressed. And so Joanna goes bounding out of there. And then everybody turns on her. All of a sudden, all the, she goes running around the corner. It's like, seriously, Joanna? Joanna's getting to go on this date. You get the angry lady. Unfortunately, you find out who's still recovering and who's still probably a little hungover from the night before. You find out who the emotionally unstable young ladies are, who you just begin to feel like they may not survive this process. Like you're genuinely concerned for their emotional well-being. But the bottom line is there is only one person who is happy about that letter, and that is Joanna. But let me tell you right now, not even Joanna would be happy about this letter from Jeremiah. They're in exile. 
They've been conquered. They've been defeated. The people of God have been taken from their home. They've been taken from their land. And all they can wait for, all they can long for, all they can hope for is that moment when finally that date card arrives. And the Lord comes to do for them what he did for the people of God back in Egypt. When the Lord comes in might and power and says, you don't mess with my people. When God finally comes in and he makes everything right and he shows Babylon who's really in charge. They're waiting, they're longing, they're excited, hoping for that day. And all of a sudden, the letter comes in. The letter from the prophet Jeremiah, he's a little weird, he's a little eccentric, but he's still the prophet of God. So finally, it's happening. It's happening. So can you imagine the exiled people of God sitting on their couch? They're all waiting, they're, they're PJs. They're waiting, wondering, what is Jeremiah going to say? Because this is it, this is our ticket out of here. Finally, God's come. And so they open it. And they read, thus says the Lord of hosts, yes! The God of Israel, hey, here he comes. To all the exiles whom I sent into exile. Wait, what? Wait, this, this was the Lord? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to build homes amongst these people. I want you to get married and have children amongst these people. I want you to plant gardens amongst these people. I want you to invest in the social and the economic and the spiritual well-being of this people. And can you imagine the people sitting there thinking, wait a minute, how long are we going to be here? And the Lord's like, oh, glad you asked, 70 more years. We're going to be dead by then. The good promise of God isn't even for us. We're not even going to be around to see it. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the frustration? Can you imagine the confusion when rather than getting a letter that says, hey, I'm coming to get you out, and they're going to know that they don't mess with my people. Instead of that letter, they get, hey, you're going to be here for a while. So be all there. What do you do when what God has for you, you don't want? What do you do when the people God has placed you among are the last people you want to see? What do you do when the place God calls you into is the last place on the face of the earth that you would ever think you would find yourself? The other day, I am at a gas station getting gas because that's what you do at a gas station. And there was another gentleman who had a different idea of what to do at the gas station. He was cleaning his car, but that's a little bit of an understatement. He wasn't just cleaning his car. This guy was detailing his car in front of the 7-Eleven. Like not in the back of the 7-Eleven where there's space, like it literally took up multiple uh, spaces up in the front right by the doors, had all his car doors open, and this guy's got a, like a rag. He's going down every part of the interior of the car. He's going down the doors. At one point, I'm not joking, he got up on the hood of the car because he could not reach the top part of the windshield. So he's literally, and I'm just like pumping my car, like watching, like just in awe. But what really struck me what really captivated me, the thing that I just couldn't wrap my head around was that the car 
was a piece of junk. <laughs> Some of y'all know me. Some of y'all know the kind of cars I've driven. This car was not worth the time. To say that it was held together by duct tape and Gorilla Glue would be generous. It was falling apart. The paint was faded. Nothing about this said this car is worth this kind of time. And so I'm sitting there, literally, confession time. I'm judging the guy. I'm like, has he not seen? Has he not heard? Has nobody told him? It ain't that nice a car. The only thing that car was worth was to sell it for parts. It was literally falling apart. And so here I am thinking all these things, pumping my gas, watching this, and I received a date card from the Lord. And what I hear in my spirit, what I sense God saying to me, is, Bobby, I wish you cared for my people the way this guy cares for his car. You see, what I realized in that moment is I was determining the treatment of the car based on the condition of the car, but this man had got it figured out. The treatment of the car was not determined by the condition of the car. The treatment of the car was, de was determined by the condition of the man offering the care. It was a reflection of his heart, not the quality of the car. This car had been entrusted to him. This car had been gifted to him. This car was a blessing to him. And it was his responsibility to care for it. It didn't matter that it didn't look great. It didn't matter that it was falling apart. It didn't matter that it probably didn't run all that great. It was his. And so the condition of his life determined the treatment of the car, not the condition of the car. Aren't you glad that God does not treat us according to our condition, but according to his? Romans 5 says, while we were yet what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, when we wanted nothing to do with God, when we were adamantly opposed to the way of God, when we said thank you but no thanks to God and worse, God sent his son to make a way where there was no way. God does not treat us according to our condition, but according to his condition. And he sends us out in the world not to treat the world the way the world treats us, but the way our God has treated us. Our treatment of others is a reflection of our condition, not theirs. And I need to be reminded of that. And honestly... I think those folks in exile needed to be reminded of it as well. Because I know what I would be thinking. I know it. You know it. I would be reading that letter from Jeremiah and say, Lord, you want me to do what? You want me to build a home here? This ain't Israel. This isn't your land. No, not here anywhere else. With these people, you want me to plant gardens? 
You want me to share the fruit of my labor, the fruit and the vegetables with them? Are you serious? Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know what they've done to us? Lord, have you seen what they've done to your people? They're not like us. They don't value what we value. They don't love what we love. They don't worship how we worship. Lord, they don't even know you, to which the Lord will reply, that's exactly right. Now you're getting it. They don't love what you love, and they don't value what you value, and they don't worship who you worship because they don't know me, but you do. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, if you show up there, if you invest yourself in their world, if my people would be my people then and there, they might see me in you. So what do you do when uh, you don't want you don't want what God's got for you. What do you do when God's got you in a place that's exactly where you don't want to be? What do you do when you're with a people and you want to look at God and say, really? Anybody else? You show up. And you be all there. And you look to the example of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every other names so that at the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus said he had no place to lay his head. And yet he made his home among us. I don't know if he ever planted a garden or not, but I know he was betrayed in one on our behalf. And I know that when he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death, that they confused him for a gardener. And I know he didn't get married, and I know he didn't have any kids, but you and I, the church, were called the bride of Christ, and because God has lavished his love upon us, we get to be called children of God. So what do you do when where you're at and who you're with is the last place you want to be and you really would rather not be with them? You show up. You be all there. You look to the example of Jesus Christ and you invest yourself in their lives the way he continues to invest in and pour his life into you. For the glory of God and the sake of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you that you do not treat us according to our condition, but according to your great love. When we were yet enemies, when we were your sinners, you, when we were sinners, you made a way for us. Lord, it's our desire 
to show you to the world, to be that light, to be that life, to give the world a glimpse of who you are. But Lord, we know we can't do that from a distance. That you're calling us into places that are very often scary and confusing, uncomfortable, and even dangerous. Lord, teach us how to be all there, to show up, to be present with people the way you are present with us so that the world might come to see and experience for themselves the saving, redeeming love that you have for each and every one of us. We love you and adore you and bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.